I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Building Sustainability Podcast. This week I'm going to do a super quick intro because the conversations are long. It's a two-parter again this week with Georgie Adams. Georgie is building a house on the back of a van chassis. It is unlike any van conversion you will have ever seen. And before you listen to this episode, I thoroughly recommend that you head over to her Instagram, Building Bluebell, and take a look because it will make sense of what we are talking about. I met Georgie on the Landscapes of Freedom uh, Right to Rome protest on the South Downs. And it's fitting because uh, they've just got another protest in the diary. And that is Saturday, the 16th of October. Um, So if you are in support of the uh, campaign for Right to Rome, uh, make sure you get down to that. It was a lovely event last time. Um, and I suspect much of the same will happen again. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, I am just about to head to London at the end of this week uh, to do a nice big plastering job that has been entirely taking up all of my brain space. So apologies that uh, maybe I... I'm not maybe making any sense. Uh, this month we've had a few new Patreon supporters... Uh, that is Spoomark, Paul Roost, Anna Ballard, and Amy Charles. Thank you so much to you four. Uh, it really, really is fantastic to have you on board. Uh, I really appreciate your support. Uh, if you would like to join those four, then please head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. There is a link in the show notes. Uh, this is all self-funded. Uh, so you know you guys 
contributing really helps me pay the bills. It's as simple as that, really. Uh, what to tell you about this episode? Uh, so yes, two parter. You're now listening to part one. Uh, we had to record over Zoom. Normally use a higher quality audio recorder, uh, but Zoom was the only option. Uh, and there are some slightly funny noises. Uh, they are quite short lived and hopefully not too distracting. So apologies for that. Uh, there is there's an f bomb that I uh, that I had to beep out uh, from me actually. Uh, yeah, I was clearly overexcited about what I was saying. Uh, yeah, it's beeped out. But if you're sensitive to that, don't listen. Um, and the final thing, uh, just before I set you loose on the episode, is that I really want to create some way of having a conversation around the episodes i think the the input from from listeners can be really really great to uh, sort of continue the discussion and i think in days gone by that would naturally have been a facebook group but i suspect maybe that people don't really use facebook like that anymore certainly i don't um but yeah maybe it is facebook i don't know uh for now until i've sort of figured it out uh, if you go to the website, buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com, then you can put a comment on the bottom of every episode. And yeah, maybe if you've got thoughts or comments or concerns or questions, then pop them there for now. And if you've got an idea of how we can have a conversation, then uh, yeah, let me know through the website. OK, uh, handing you over to Georgie now. Uh, the first episode is kind of the nuts and bolts of building Bluebell, her project. Um, it also talks about her project uh, in her hands. And episode two, or the part two, is much more kind of experiences and philosophy. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, as you'll hear. Uh, I found it so inspiring, especially because I am you know, in the depths of a build myself. And there were just such great lessons in there. Um, yeah, I hope you're all as inspired as I was. OK, that is it from me. There won't be any outro on the end of this episode. It will roll straight into the next one. Outro to follow on part two. All right. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, the very original seed of thought was just a van conversion and then it just got wildly out of control. <laughs> and this is where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. What, like, what was it? What was the, the initial seed? Mm, um, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure as for many, it's quite a, a layered question. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was sort of 16, 17 in college and feeling this like deep kind of disconcerned feeling about how I was going to move into just living in the adult world and the, the housing world. Uh, and then I was in London renting and working for a while and just doing the kind of the basic and really remembered having this like clear feeling of if I have to just keep doing this and uh, following this system to attempt to get onto the housing ladder, like I think it will kill me. Like I just can't imagine my uh my well-being my mental health um my passion for life 
just kind of sustaining itself. It was so hard for me to imagine. So I'd already started thinking about ways of alternative living. And I ended up getting a one-way ticket to New Zealand um, as the kind of starting point of like, let's figure this out. Um, And I was, you know, very, very fortunate to be able to get the working holiday visa. Mm. And while I was over there, um, I saw some of the really ginormous house trucks. And I I remember I was hitchhiking and one just zoomed past me um, on the road. And I was like, that's it. that's the one that's the thing um and I ended up going to a few festivals and seeing some of them in person and just kind of thinking yeah I can live tiny no problem um at the time I was also living in a tiny hiker tent that you couldn't even prop up in properly and I was living in that for the best part of a year um very happily so (laughs) actually actually a van seemed like a huge upgrade um and uh yeah so that kind of that was where it started and then I I thought to myself, right, so I want to build this structure, but I have zero experience. I've got zero building knowledge. Um, And it all just kind of, yeah, it all just happened by uh, trying to, trying to pinpoint some ways of, of work, like figuring out how I could possibly make something like that to live in. Um, And yeah, it all kind of fell into place really with a lot of different life circumstances. I ended up coming back from, uh, living overseas which I was doing for quite some time um and also whilst I was doing that I was getting a lot of ideas of how to try and live more sustainably live more simply that was the main thing trying to achieve a really simple lifestyle and I'm realizing how happy that made me um and really coming back to those feelings I was having when I was living in London of you know what what is the what is the correct path to finding that feeling of inner contentment and for me it just yeah it was simplicity and so by the time I ended up coming back to England uh it didn't feel like such a huge task because I realized if I just achieve a sense of simplicity even if it's just a really bog standard box um then I kind of I'm going to get there uh and then obviously it hasn't turned out into a bog standard box um no nor simple (laughs) no no not at all um and that yeah, that really came, that came then from a different, so that was kind of one element of the the inspiration for Bluebell. And then there was this whole other section, which was um, noticing this huge block I was finding to being able to um, pick up skills and learn kind of construction and engineering principles as a woman. Um, and I had a lot of conversations with people and I went to quite a few different environments and some building sites with people I knew and I was getting this really um, overwhelming feeling of uh, not being able to access it comfortably not being able to find the skills without feeling I was being a pain or a nuisance um, or that it was just a bit cute you know, it was like a you know, nice try. Um, and a lot of these weren't malicious responses I was getting, but they were really deeply um, ideological. Yeah. And well, what sort of places were you, were you looking? Well, I kind of, when I started going to looking at what kind of vehicle to buy, um, I went to, I kind of, you know, with word of mouth, I went to um, uh, a few different mechanics yards um I went to some when I was looking for materials I was going to scrap yards a lot and kind of like talking about what I wanted to do um when I was thinking about the timber I went to some different timber yards uh and some different sawmills and then actually 
in uh, a workshop space near where I was, um, where I actually ended up building mine, there was some, uh, some particular individuals there who, who, um, yeah, who made me feel a bit uncomfortable. And all of this kind of, all of this seemed really bizarre to me. Uh, and, and also then made me quite pissed off. <laughs> mm. um, and so then I was like, right, well, I'm, I don't just want to do a Luton. I just, I want to do something. I want to do something that's kind of going to prove a bit of a point so that if it ever comes up in conversation again, all of the times that I couldn't have anything to back myself up with. Now I just, I want to have something that proves a point. And, and interestingly, um, as you know, as, as kind of mad as this thing looks, all of the elements of that were actually so simple. Um, so, you know, understanding and learning these fundamental construction skills, I just couldn't believe how, how simple they were actually. Of course, there is elements of practice and research and trial and error. Yeah, mucking it up a load of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, the fundamentals were really simple, um, which then kind of hit a bit of a light bulb for me. And then the more I realised that, the more fearless I kind of got with, well, if I want to build a dome, I'm going to, why not? Like actually, yeah, why Why on earth not? It, it sounds a little bit like maybe it's uh, complexity came a little bit as a, a kind of fuck you to, to all the people that <laughs> weren't going to help. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that was pretty much it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think as well, being a little bit stubborn um, and a little, maybe, I mean, a lot um, that, that helped, that definitely helped. And I also think that's a helpful characteristic of you do want to get into building and construction because what quite a lot of the times you need to have your, your vision and your idea um, and you have to be pretty stubborn with it because so often the materials aren't going to, aren't always going to be, you know, working with you, especially because Bluebell was built almost entirely out of um, off-cycled and waste materials. So usually most of the the materials I were working with was bent, warped, <laughs> you know, it's swollen. Um, the aluminium on the roof was oxidised, so I couldn't heat it up uh, to work with it. You know, most of the time it had to have an element of stubborn, of stubbornness to kind of actually push through, push through that. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that I that kind of stubbornness came from that initial irritation, and then it kind of channeled through, and it continued to push me, um, and, and then develop as, actually as a building technique in some ways. Nice, I guess. Well, let's let's probably go back a little bit actually. So, why? What do you think it was that like drew you to mobile living? What, what do you mm. you talked about the simplicity? I think originally when I. I just sort of packed my bag. I sold most, you know, all of my excess belongings and, you know, the crud that we all just mm -hmm. kind of have. And I just was then living out of a backpack. And that was incredibly liberating to have very few things, but have enough that, um, you know, have enough that I needed to be happy and to be contented. And um, yeah. And so that was a really uh, amazing revelation to me because actually before that, it's quite interesting when I think to how I was as a kid and as a teenager I was a bit of a hoarder and my I just like my bedroom in London was just the walls were plastered with like photos and sticky notes and like the floor was full of 
random things and yeah and I've really that's that's shifted not because I'm naturally a minimalist I'm definitely not I am a treasure hunter I think you know as many people might relate I just you know I see a stone I'm like I must have it (laughs) and I must place it on the windowsill (laughs) so my natural my natural being is to kind of collect um pretty things (laughs) and um yeah so it definitely actually goes a little bit against my my um my inner self in some ways but there's that balance you know of of having enough things that are beautiful um but also functional um so yeah kind of decluttering that that element of mobile living um not and not everyone actually does that right some people enjoy still having lots of bits and bops and living small it doesn't have to be minimal but for me that definitely helped me I think it helped my headspace and helped my anxiety and so I noticed you know in quite a lot of the time when you're exploring these ways of living and you notice the patterns that you might not kind of do them intentionally but you you think oh that's making me feel better so I should probably continue to do that in my life um so yeah having less stuff really helped and that came as part of the parcel for me with mobile living um another thing of course would be that I naturally am quite an introvert and like to be alone and I'm a bit of a hermit I enjoy kind of winding down and spending lots of time walking and being in my own thoughts and I have found that mobile living even just when I was with my tent in my backpack in some respects in yeah it it brought so many people into my life that I wouldn't have necessarily had if it hadn't been for that way of life um quite often when you're mobile living or you're uh yeah you're kind of pursuing more nomadic movements um you often tend to and need like need people and rely on people and a bit vice versa there's a often this really nice um kind of yin and yang with that I found that with hitchhiking that quite often you would bump in, you would, you know, get your ride. And actually those people who were offering you the ride maybe really needed that conversation. They needed that chat. And it was, I find that nomadic living and mobile living can really bring you, um, yeah, can bring you to the sense of of meeting people and finding like-minded people. And for me, that's always been quite difficult because I'm a bit of an introvert and I don't know how to find the people in my life that I know are synchronized. So being out on the road, um, living in the van, um, has, yeah, has kind of brought, has brought me a world, a social world that I would, I would be so sad if I didn't have it. And so I think that's, that is really important to me in my life to have those things. Um, and yeah, I'd say maybe the last potentially most important part is that being, having, you know, the mobile living lifestyle, means that typically you are not having to do the extensive working week hours working for a wage to pay your rent and to pay your bills and at the end having very little time left to pursue creative um, projects to pursue the people you love and um, pursue curiosity you know I spend so much time just uh, being outside in nature and that wouldn't be possible if I was having to pay, having to work so much to pay my bills. Um, And so, yeah, I think trying to find a lifestyle that that brings around a way of life that means that you're actually able to do a lot more of the things that you want to do 
Um, and of course, that means that you have to readjust your your attitude with what you spend on. So mm. you could quite easily you could quite easily still do a full working week, live in a mobile home of some sort and still not have much time or money left over. And it all depends on what you spend out on. And, um, you know, so eating out for me is a massive treat. Um, and yeah, buying certain things, it, you know, money, it has shifted my relationship with money so much. And um, uh, yeah, and I, I really, I respect its place in my life a lot. Um uh, yeah, so I think that actually having that relationship with consumerism and sustainable consumption, um, you know, like this year, for example, I tried to grow all of my own salad so that I wouldn't have to buy, keep buying salad, which actually costs quite a lot of money. Uh, not that it shouldn't, but it's often I can't I find it really hard around me to find nice organic or local produce. And it's always, you know, wrapped in all the plastic. So that was and actually living this lifestyle has meant that I had the time and the energy to do that. I had the mental headspace to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I think all of that uh, really is a massive aid um, that comes with living, living mobile. You, so you decided that, that you know, van life uh, was going to fit your, your, your way of living or your aims, I guess. So what I, I've sort of said the next question there, like what, what do you think as a project, uh, Bluebell, were there sort of some aims in there? We've spoken a little bit about, you know, uh, proving people wrong, perhaps. Uh, was there, was there anything else other than, you know, creating yourself a home? Yeah. I mean, I think initially at the beginning, it was, it was very simply just to create, to create a home, to create Mm -hmm. a base. And, uh, yeah, I, it definitely developed. I think as I was building Bluebell, it, it, um, inspired conversations with other women who would see the van um, and they would uh, open up about how much they'd love to be able to use tools and uh, use drills. I think sometimes within the craft world, um, I found often it's easy to forget that that not everyone has those, just has that um, that access to learning and that community around them and that support and maybe just not even that very initial budge just to be able to pick up the tool and give it a go um and a lot of the people I talk to will just be you know your standard people coming out of Sainsbury's um or people who had kind of walked past my workshop because it's past a, a public footpath um and yeah uh just friends of mine family friends of friends and the more these conversations started happening and most interestingly I found that I rarely actually initiated the conversation it would be this desire to talk about it and this desire to um, request you know maybe some advice or some help with building and um, yeah really the basic thing that people decide was just how to be able to cut wood and drill it together so that you could achieve basic goals, like putting up a shelf, which I never knew how to do before building Bluebell. There is absolutely no way I would have been able to put up a shelf, which is really ludicrous thinking about it now. Um, And I always remember that sagging feeling of knowing that I'd have to wait or ask a guy. Um, I had no um, women in my life who would have been able to do that for me. Um, And uh, yeah, and, and, and I'm thinking in cases of social mobility, a lot of people who might be in uh, really 
poor housing conditions and have landlords that might take a really long time to come and get something fixed. And it is, it could be something so simple as putting, uh, yeah, putting a couple pieces of wood together and then stretching from that very basic um, desire that people had for those skills. Um, like I said, which ranged all ages, all backgrounds um, of, of women. Um, and then, so it started from that and then it kind of ranged to people who wanted to learn a little bit more and actually had the curiosity of craft rather than the necessity of making, um, which I just talked about. It, it then expanded into the desire to want to work with, with wood and want to create and want to build, um, but just having no way in even just a space, um, you know, a space and a tool to pick up where you don't feel patronized or or you don't feel like you know you have to get it right on that first time I remember when I I um started building bluebell I could not hit a nail in straight you know and so I would sit there with a block of wood with a hammer and I would whack these nails in over and over again until I could get it in straight and then by the end I was hitting like like these six inch nails with a few hits into a block of wood and that's not because I'm strong or I'm you know talented at nail hitting it's because I had the space and the time and that was mostly just because I was I was by myself and that that was safe for me um to play and to get things wrong without then waiting for someone I've had situations where tools have been taken off me I I've been told you know, I'll just let me do that. And the tools have been physically removed from my hands. I had it once at a very well-known timber timber yard where the sort that they would not let me cut the wood I needed off the stack. Um, and then they continued to cut the wood wonky, <laughs> um, which I then had to fix. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of, you know, having that environment just to just to be able to um, learn those basic like wrist movements and and something that we all have the ability to do it doesn't require extra strength it doesn't require you to be you know really hench and uh or be like an incredible engineer it just requires you know, trial and error i'm um, giving it a go and so i am fortunate enough that um i had this this space in the countryside which was um a lovely agreement with a with a farmer um and uh yeah, and with my my um, family, to, to kind of, it was basically this like old barnyard which couldn't be really commercially um, done much with because it's got an asbestos roof, and it's just this little like nook um, that's totally open to the elements and the rain. But it was a space. I had this little space just to kind of like hole up in and put some tools in a box. And that enabled me to build my own home. That just that small little environment. Um, and actually, um, yeah, I think I think an element of that of people not having the ability to uh, to get hands on with building is a, a lot of the time just down to lacking the space and lacking the access to a few basic tools. But then, of course, what I was seeing was that people were women were too scared to even even enter that kind of that world um, or enter that um, or or what's worse actually and I I know this because I felt this myself um but feel but feel like there's no way that they could achieve those those skills um because just of what we see in the construction and and building world is you know it's you don't see you don't there's not enough representation and so um ideally I really want to see a I want to see a world where we're not even talking about whether it's a a woman building you know it 
it's it's kind of you know it's a bugbear even to have to even to have to be talking about it because it should just be genderless it should just be not remotely weird if uh, if a girl is is constructing a build it shouldn't be challenged or questioned um but in order to get there i think that we just need to get more we need to get more women using tools and then it will just become normal um and i think the representation is where i'd like to start so my a really big goal I have is to start an organisation which I have named In Her Hands, um, which will start off by collecting stories and um, so films, articles, podcasts, uh, photo sets um, of women all over the world who are doing building projects. Um, and that could be could be even as well a bit of plumbing and welding and the rest, but kind of building that vision and that image of women in the construction world, um, ranging from small projects like mine, building building your own home, doing van conversions, tiny houses, which is a good starting point for me because I've met some amazing women who, who are making those, but also into architecture and engineering. Um, so that's kind of the, the conversation and the acceptance and just that image we need to start bringing uh, into a sense of normality. And then ideally, my absolute dream would be to start a, to have this element of this organisation which could um, lead to workshops. And, um, you know, I, I I can't talk about what it is or isn't yet because it doesn't quite exist yet, but I'm in the, I'm in the real, um, real kind of planning stages of how that could work. Um, and I have a, I have a template in mind for a, for a workshop that could be distributed and taught by anyone who, who has some basic kind of like fundamental building skills. Um, and yeah, and then maybe creating some, some physical workshops, some talks and events, but really, yeah, really just initially, even if it gets no further than just creating, creating more of a conversation and, um, yeah, and, a and, a, and an image of, of women with, um, with in, yeah, in building and construction, then that's the real kind of goal. Brilliant. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait to see uh, what, you, uh, what you create. That's, yeah, really Thank awesome. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Um, good. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I want to talk nuts and bolts of... Uh, well, should we talk? Let's talk design, and then, then sort of more, more techie nerdy things. Um, techie nerdy. <laughs> uh, techie nerdy. Because <laughs> I mean, that's what we all want to hear, isn't it? Maybe that's what I want to hear. Yeah. I <laughs> um, just assume everyone's like me. Uh, so, so yeah, design. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. did, had you seen something? that you looked at it and went I want it to look I want my house to look like that or was it a bringing together of styles Mm, um do you know I don't think I ever saw anything which I thought that's what I want it to look like Mm. um I knew that I saw the concept and the what it would mean for me in my life but I didn't see an actual vision um I did I did have this initial thought and I actually have the original drawing somewhere that I tore out and thankfully I kept and it's basically like a front-on view and it looks like a mushroom on wheels and I I had this um 
you know, being someone who spends a lot of time just like out on the ground in the woods, <laughs> just like on my hands and knees looking at plants and at, at mushrooms and uh, yeah, and being heavily, heavily inspired by the natural world. Um, that was something I thought that would make such a brilliant home, something like that. Um, and I think probably also inspired by fairy tales and and books, I'm, I'm sure um, there's some deep um, kind of, yeah, folklore going on there. Um, but yeah, I had this kind of idea to create this organic shape that was round and had no sharp edges. I didn't want any squares going on. And I had this like ob- obsession, which I still do, um, of old cottages, you know, the kind of big, chunky thatched roofs and those lovely eyebrow windows. And I remember one of the first things that I said to everyone was like, my my house is going to have eyebrow windows. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you can't like, just know. <laughs> I was like, yes, it will have eyebrow windows and that's final. <laughs> so I was absolutely convinced uh, I, would, <laughs> I would make eyebrow windows. So I remember like just doing lots of walks, um, catching the train and like just like doing a lot of walks around old villages and staring at people people's houses must have looked a bit odd um and yeah so that kind of like chunky organic look was what I was going for however I had absolutely no plan of how it was going to look or what was going to happen I was entirely reliant and led um, on response to materials so because Bluebell is made almost entirely out of um upcycled and recycled materials I was of course really that that kind of led me it didn't limit me I just had to work within parameters as such um so I knew that my walls you know my cladding was going to be wood and um I knew that my roof would have to be metal of some sort and so I kind of had a, a very large box to fit into um which uh, I guess is is vans or boxes or van homes or boxes for the most part anyway. Um, but I, yeah, I just wanted to cut off those angles and make it round. And so that was kind of the main design principle. But like I said, yeah, it was really led by reacting to the materials. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, I mean, did you, um, did you think about layout early on? Um, I, I remember doing a few kind of sketches and doodles, um, but, no, I just kind of, I remember building the, the, um, I think all I knew was that my bathroom, my shower was going to be, um, kind of at the very back, which is why I, when I created a little porch for my door, I knew that the kind of the, the bit on the other side was going to be the shower. And other than that, I had absolutely no, no idea. I mean, obviously I, I knew that the bed was going to be on top of the cab, um, but other than that, nothing, absolutely nothing was um, originally designed or planned. So when I came to building the framework, um, I, you know, and kind of like deciding where the windows would be, I made a rough idea of where my kitchen might be because I then had this desire to make this massive churchy window to look out from. And things, yeah, things came step by step. Uh, so I, I, I then, when I got into the space, I, I would do a lot of, as I'm sure you you must be really 
um, uh, you must resonate with. You just do a lot of standing in your space and just kind of like, <laughs> like getting a little like chair and being like, Ooh, what about here? <laughs> what about there? And just like, I did a lot of looking. I'm a bit, I'm like, I'm actually a little bit lazy. So I didn't do like the cardboard cutout or I didn't put that much effort into any of that. I was just like, ah, you know, <laughs> it will all come together. It will all happen at some point. Um, and just fingers crossed it will all work out correct. Um, which I think it has. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it, I think so. It looks fantastic. Uh, and your eyebrows, you. four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and those eyebrows, four. <laughs> um, so, was it, uh, what did you start with in terms of vehicle? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right. And I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I uh, search really difficult to get chassis cabs in the south of England that are just like the actual skeletal frame. Mm-hmm. It took me a long, really long time. I almost, believe it or not, gave up on the entire project because I just couldn't, within my price range, which was sort of um, my absolute maximum budget was was um, 5000 for the for the vehicle. And then I was kind of looking for something in between two and three. That's what I'd, I had saved up all beforehand with work. Um, and I ended up going right to the max of my budget. I think it was like 4,900 pounds for the, for the chassis. And it's an Iveco, uh, daily. I think it's a medium wheelbase. It's not actually a long wheelbase. It's Mm -hmm. medium. Um, and it, yeah, just came with the two, I don't know what you call them, like beams, which hold the wheels on. Yeah. I don't (laughs) know. Terminology (laughs) is shocking. (laughs) Yeah. The little beamy things, which hold the wheels, the little sticks. Um, and that was it. So it was just kind of like a skeleton, um, of, of the vehicle. Yeah, yeah, because your well, your your design is sort of Lutonish in terms of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of that because of the the sort of cab uh, above or the space above the cab. Yeah. So, how did you go from chassis with the sticky bits, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> official terminology now, uh, <laughs> to to sort of where where you had a defined shape? So i I went to um, a local metal fabricator. And um, I bought some um, angle iron and box section. And I kind of had like a rough idea. I did a lot of staring at the underbellies of like Arctic lorries and um, like just Googling. <laughs> My Google search history must have been quite bizarre. <laughs> like what does the underbelly of an Arctic lorry look like? <laughs> um, I can't imagine and, like, what just... you're getting advertised after that. <laughs> Yeah, you tell me. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, lots of weird kind of like looking because um, I think that's really how um, you know. I I actually didn't read any books. I didn't. I did again. It's like my lazy part coming out of me. I just I did a lot of looking. So um, I I yeah. I just looked at vans. I looked underneath um, Lutons, you know, in supermarkets <laughs> when no one's looking. Just like shoving my head underneath, and could see the basic way that 
a chassis cab because most chassis cabs come as chassis with the, the bare structural work and then they have the, the things attached to the back whether that's a flatbed or the you know the the, um, the tippers or the lutens and most of them will work on the same kind of basic you've got a steel frame um, and yeah so it's just a rectangle with some bits going across um, I figured <laughs> and so I um, yeah I went to the fabricators and I got some um, I got some angle iron and box section from them and they very kindly gave me some offcuts and gave me some offcuts of some aluminium um, box section which goes across the top of the cabs so that keeps that nice and light that whole kind of um, the, the floating bedroom is all actually quite lightweight and because I figured it would need to work on a cantilever because it couldn't be touching the cab I didn't want it resting on the cab at all. Um, I, I'm, yeah, that worked out really well. And then I went to the scrapyard and I found all this old supermarket cladding, which is met- like tin steel, very thin. I think it's like, um, well, it's not super thin. It's a, a millimetre thick, mm-hmm. I believe. And, um, and it has then like a plastic kind of like, like sticker coating which would have faced the exterior um of the of the supermarket and it just came in these massive sheets and I was like perfect that can make the underside basically all of the underside of the framework so that goes um all at the bottom and up the back so I found found all of that that cladding and yeah so then I kind of had that basic metal frame just at the very bottom Uh, that was quite interesting actually because I had no concept of engineering just sensation and kind of you know shutting my eyes and kind of imagining where where stress points would be if I was to turn a corner where would the stress be and kind of just like (laughs) moving my body and like imagining where the weight would be distributed so you know I'd then be like right a bolt needs to go there I guess um and that's kind of how it it all worked when I figured out the engineering element and um uh yeah and so after that after I'd got that kind of metal element sorted at the very bottom I did you were you doing that were you is it welded no I because I don't have welding skills and just on a tiny side note I'm very excitingly um starting a college class uh for te- like a, an evening class for 10 weeks um on welding which I'm like I'm Brilliant. so excited about I can't even I can't even exclaim how excited Ooh, I'm a little bit jealous yeah it's such as like I tell you what with building bluebell all the tiny little niblets that you need to make like just like kind of tinsy little brackets and I you know often I'm just like what a skill welding would be it would have made my life so much easier rather mm. than having to kind of like trawl through the internet and lots of trips to fabricators to see if they could just make this tiny thing um so yeah that's that's exciting but no it's not welded I did everything with bolts just bolted everything together and I needed quite specific bolts so I actually ended up buying just threaded bar and the specific nuts and washers and kind of making my own bolts um, worked out way cheaper and I also found a lot of things secondhand um, and upcycled and most of my washers were all upcycled I think it was mainly just the threaded bar um, that I bought so that that was all it's all bolts so actually I think bluebells only held on by 12 bolts and if I undo them I could take the whole thing off and put it nice. put it somewhere else yeah so it's not reliant on the vehicle That's fantastic yeah yeah because the I mean the you do you don't want the ve- you know, the vehicle engine to die and then you're like oh gotta start again yeah or yeah. you know I'm tied to this you know potentially uh defective you know 
uh, engine part. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was quite important. Um, so yeah, that's how that started. Just that basic kind of ground level. And then I went up all with timber, everything else, apart from the, the roof um, and obviously ancillaries, screws, um, which for the first two years of the build were almost all like um uh waste screws actually the ones that didn't like kind of you know the last few in the in the box for someone else and I just ended up getting these bucket loads of mixed screws and then all evening I'd like separate them out and that would be my screw so I saved a lot of money on ancillaries by being able to get them secondhand um and and yeah and just upcycling them and so it all went up with with timber um which was um, yeah mostly off cuts it's actually only two by one my framework okay so very very thin um I was pretty I was pretty confident about that <laughs> and it hasn't let me down thus far um yeah so the actual framework then is very lightweight so that's just two by one um and then there's cedar cladding on the outside um and yeah and that that's kind of like the outer the outer walls cedar cladding um and then it goes up into an aluminium roof. Um, just, just let me know if there's anything I'm, I'm scooching past or, or you want to, you want to, me to clarify on. Um, uh, yeah, but the the roof is then aluminium, which was also an amazing secondhand find. I, so I kind of built this roof shape, and there was this tiny voice in the back of my mind, which was like, Georgie, you should probably think about how you're going to clad this ridiculous roof shape you're making because <laughs> materials like most <laughs> nice materials you know that aren't you know plastic um are not going to want to form over this shape with bumps and lumps and uh yeah eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there's I think there's three three eyebrows one in one is actually the porch the bathroom window and then the kitchen window and that's not actually meant even talking about the dome which is just all like a continuous wibbly wobbly eyebrow um <laughs> and so yeah it was this niggling voice in my head like oh <laughs> this is naughty this is going to be really hard to clad and then I got to the situation where I was like right I need my roof material so actually funny enough I've kind of um I've gone back on myself because actually I said I was re- I was responsive to the materials, but the roof was actually uh, the roof shape was one where I was like I have this vision and the mirror tip the materials are going to work for me <laughs> this time. <laughs> I I am going to make it work no matter what. Um, uh, so so yeah, I ended up going to so many scrapyards and like not really finding anything that was lightweight enough. Uh, I couldn't use the supermarket cladding, so it was just too heavy. Um, and yeah, and I was kind of getting to a bit of a, a bit of a state where I was like, oh no, have I just done myself in and I have to use something like fiberglass, which I really don't want to have to do. Um, and then, but I was like persistent. So I continued the search. Um, and I really, really, that entire kind of, um, ethos of Bluebell is to use upcycled and secondhand materials. So I ended up finding this tiny little rural scrapyard where right at the top he had these loads of these old trays of um aluminium well they came from a garden center and they were what you put your seedlings in like mm. when they're first potted into little pots and so there are these trays and they're about i think they're about 50 by 90 or something um 50 centimeters right. by 90 centimeters something like that um and 
I took them all. I was like, that's it. It's aluminium. That's perfect. It's going to be light. Um, it's going to be malleable. <laughs> I was all there. Also this tiny voice in the back of my head, like, how are you going to do that <laughs> on those eyebrows? <laughs> um, but I was, I was like super happy. And yeah, that, that ended up taking that roof was horrifying <laughs> it was so hard it was so so hard to do because I did it over the winter and I work I don't have an internal space it's all outside um and metal doesn't like being worked when it's cold and oxidized metal that you can't heat up also doesn't really like <laughs> working when it's cold uh, I was trying to avoid the brittle parts to not make holes in it for example and so the whole thing took me six months to do wow um, yeah I've had, I just, and I just hand beated the whole thing sometimes a single tray I think I've got 50 50 trays on the roof and yeah I think or just over 50 trays and another cute side fact is that I used every single tray I one went wrong and it split but I used every single tray and that was exactly the amount I needed wow so if I'd had one too little I would have had to it would have been one one too little and I would have had to have have bought some new aluminium and it would have looked you know it would have looked very different to the Mm. way this old aged aluminium looks so that was really funky but yeah I had to hand beat it and some of the pieces like around the eyebrows (laughs) those eyebrows (laughs) um took like took two days just to get the you know like a a tiny little shape would kind of just take two days of whacking it um and yeah so that was a massive project um and yeah and but all like I said it all kind of all very much responsive um because by the time I actually had the aluminium uh, I was learning a lot. I was learning so much about metal, just working with it, just feeling it. And this is something that I, you know, I really believe in. I think that if you start working with the materials, even if you've got no clue, even if you've had no experience, you don't know how to use the tools. If you just start with the material, the material talks to you. Um, and in the case of cold metal, it shouts at you. <laughs> um, and so, so I really learned quite quickly. Um, and yeah, and it's actually, I think even though making that roof was one of the most horrid things I've ever had to do, it's now inspired this deep love of metal, um, which is which is quite interesting. Um, so yeah, that's the, and then that, that's the roof. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's probably the, the thing that people are going to see the first like it's yeah. the thing that stands out as wow that's that's not a thing you see in a van uh, <laughs> um yeah and i love knowing the story about it um how how much did your 50 sheet uh seed trays cost you do you remember oh they were five they were five pounds a sheet right so, so 250 quid so for last yeah is that good for mess? that roof yeah yeah that is that's it <laughs> yeah 250 pounds every time i do this calculations in front of someone i have to pause okay good <laughs> <laughs> like uh, is that is that correct but yes that's that's right i believe but so it would have cost yeah 250 quid so it was pretty pretty cheap for an aluminium roof really yeah, yeah. i mean as long as uh you don't charge a day rate for your time <gasps> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I like dread. I dread to think. In some cases, I'm like, I could have just like stayed in, you know, some kind of like fancy job. I mean, not that I ever had a fancy job, <laughs> um, but you know, and I could have if I was to actually just have worked and saved the money. Um, you know, it's a totally different mindset. But really, the amount of labor hours that have gone on this have been, um, uh, yeah, have been have been pretty high. But that is, you know. I also, I quite often I would get into this bit of a spiral of thinking, you know, the old anxiety kicking in 
and thinking how you know how long it had taken me and is still taking me um uh and getting myself in a bit of a tizzle about all of that and and think sometimes feeling a bit guilty or a bit like you know a little bit uncomfortable about that um and and about my ability and thinking well if everyone had the time I had anyone could you know anyone can can could do it which actually I do believe as well but I kind of did get into a bit of this headspace of feeling a bit yeah a, a bit uncomfortable about things just taking so long and then I I, I really rephrased it and realized that you know I, I never I didn't get any training I didn't go to school I have no one telling me how to use these tools or how to do this stuff and so actually I kind of I'm seeing I never went to university either so I'm kind of imagining you know these three years out of my life that it's taking to do this um that that is my university that this is my learning time I've kind of been at school this whole time and uh yeah it's been totally joyous but it really yeah there are there is it's also removing yourself from that fast-paced industrialized concept of your your time and work and like this high paced fast action that's totally unsustainable in the real world in the working world and also as an individual and trying to remove yourself from that and realizing you know just don't, you don't need to take it all so seriously I now I take bluebell not seriously at all now I, there were definitely times when I was taking it way too seriously but I have yeah. I've calmed down a bit now <laughs> yeah ah what a unbelievable journey I'm it's such a joy I can't I honestly can't believe that you have had no no sort of you know formal training uh because the thing you've created is well I should say you are creating because it's it's not done yet is it no not quite yet yeah there's um the kind of main building most of the buildings finished um I actually I just this weekend put in the the wood burning stove oh yes i just saw on on instagram the the lighting of the stove yep very exciting stuff um and yeah i've got really it's just now like the the fundamentals so i have to um uh install so my bathroom i'm very excited to say i'm i'm gonna work with my my dad who's a brilliant he is a wonderful painter he does beautiful paintings um it not that's not his job but he just loves doing it and um it should be his job he's so very good at it and uh we're gonna do a like a bathroom impressionist mural of the south downs where i live oh nice all all covered in snow and so like the whole bathroom is going to be kind of like a mural and it's going to lead on to which I, i think you might find interesting jeffrey um my walls i have devised a kind of um a a recipe let's say I I have always been obsessed with the cottages and one of those main inspirations uh was the bumpy plaster walls that meet the old beams and you know give you vibes of wind in the willows and you know the hobbit and just that feeling you know there's beautiful old materials basically old natural wholesome materials that um you know just growing up in a in a normal modern kind of building framework uh you didn't have and I always always remember being absolutely obsessed with them as a kid with those bumpy walls and so that's something that I really wanted to do in here but of course plaster cracks mm. um and so how are you going to do that in a vibrating bumpy you know moving um house especially because also the wall because it's all made out of wood and it's breathable that the walls move 
sometimes I'm taking measurements and I can't believe how out of square something's got um, just through the movement. Um, and which of course actually is, is relevant because that's the old cottages all moves mad and are all wonky. Uh, but yeah, basically I've devised a bit of a, a recipe that <laughs> if it all goes to plan, I will release. <laughs> um, it's nothing clever at all. Um, but I am making a kind of vibration proof plaster mix that I'm going to put all on my walls Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so that it meets all the beams and these old because all of these old strips of wood that cover all of the windows run a lot run upside the wall and I've kind of covered all of the because a lot of my woodwork that I've made things with was offcuts of stuff from like covers and so it was all just had that like kind of just doesn't particularly look very pretty so I I had these old beams that I believe I were told were 800 years old and I sliced off I took a long time just setting up a jig and slicing off the aged front of the beam mm. into very very thin strips so that it would remain lightweight but it would give the appearance of looking really old so I have all these old bits of beams and wood um you know framing all my doors and my windows and I'm hoping that the plaster will kind of meet that and I'm going to get this old this old cottage feeling here so that's going to be one of the last main kind of big projects um after sort of doing i you know I, I need to focus at the moment on the important things like setting my tap in and getting my water system working and my uh shower i've got a working compost toilet and the wood burner so i'm pretty sure that's most most of the things that i need for winter now but i'm gonna i'm gonna put a big effort into into um yeah into finishing it all off pretty soon i think Brilliant. I mean, speaking of winter, uh, what's your what's your insulation? My insulation. Uh, this is one of the bugbears. Unfortunately, it's not got the best rep. It's all skip found Celatex. So, mm. it, yeah, because it's all it was because it had the ethos of being upcycled. Um, uh, it's the amount of that stuff which is just lying around. You know, is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much waste salatex going um and it's not a nice it's yeah as as many who may listen to this may know it's not the best material um and if i was building a house from scratch or doing this again i may have thought differently about it but it was the ethos of of still using reclaimed materials and so it's mostly done all with and it's pretty much all all um recycled salatex yeah nice and what what's you've got uh something over the top of it what's looks like oh this stuff yeah what's that well I actually so my um I've always been a bit skeptical that my plaster mix isn't going to (laughs) work there's still (laughs) there's still a risk so um underneath this is actually some some ply just really thin ply right um that I was able to wangle and uh is that a word wangle I think so wrangle let's make it wang wrangle wangle I prefer (laughs) wangle much better So you wangled some ply. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wangled some ply. And then I, so I thought if the plaster goes horrifically wrong, then um, I can take this top layer off and it will just be a wall underneath that I can, I can still use and just paint, you know. Um, So I have a bit of a fail safe if all goes, you know, if all goes wrong, but this is a reclaimed hardboard. So it's just thin. Yeah. It's just thin reclaimed hardboard. And for some of it, I was in it's for the stuff in the bathroom because the bathroom's also a bit of a um, experiment because I've used marine ply um, 
uh, because you know I'm 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 creating I'm hoping that the oil paint is going to provide like a natural barrier for the shower and the water. Um, but the part that the part that isn't in the shower cubicle is actually also hardboard. But I was able to get some. Um, uh, um, oh, what's that? Ter- that formaldehyde free. I was mm. able to get formaldehyde free hardboard, which I, with a bit of research, I found is better with. Um, uh, better with water absorbency is it you know it's it's much better to get a formaldehyde free board in those kind of environments yeah apparently according to my research which was quite a while ago and i'm hoping is still relevant and correct <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer um so yeah this is all this is all hardboard but will be covered um with my plaster experiment magic plaster mix yeah. i mean i'm excited uh yeah <laughs> that's i've never yeah i i thought long and hard about like can i make my walls you know can i plaster them can i i thought for a long time in the tiny house so can i put an earth floor in is that is that possible (laughs) i mean i should that's sort of my thing uh but yes uh weight calculations were were the thing that that stopped me so that leads me nicely on to asking you about weight uh yeah how conscious <laughs> have you been of it with your metal roof? Well, and well, yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, my my um, yeah, I was building blind the entire time. I did that thing of being like, okay, every material I put in, I will weigh. But as I mentioned, I can be a tad on the lazy side, so I was just like, you know, nah, <laughs> no. So um, I was building blind for quite a long time, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, I took it to the Weybridge when I had all the roof on. I had the insulation and I think, yeah, it was just, so all the metal was on, um, all the insulation was in. And it and so the whole framework came to m- m- quite a fair bit less than a, a Luton body stripped would have come. So I was in good, I was, that was a sigh of relief. We went in, um, I went with my dad and my aunt and we all took predictions as what it was going to be. And it, and it came out on the, on the lowest, which was good. So I think I can't remember. I'm trying to think now, but I believe it came to like two. So it's a 3.5 ton weight limit, 3,500 kilograms. And it came to something like two, like two nine zero zero or something. It came a fair amount under. Um, And then I weighed it again last winter when I had all my walls in, um, I had my battery in, I had my kitchen counter in, I had all my internal cladding in, and that came to 3,150. So that left me with 350 kilograms left over. So that was for the solar panels, the wood burner, um, and then of course, like water and food and a bit like some extra bits and bobs, the shower unit and so funny you mention it. I do need to now, now I put the wood burner in, I need to make a trip and mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's still, I made a calculation when I last took it to the Weybridge that with all those things added in, I knew the weight of my solar panels. And fortunately I made my framework for my solar panels myself. I noticed, with, I watched your, your, yeah. Uh, there was a brilliant video where you were going, well, I could do it the easy way that wouldn't look very good. Or I can do it the way that yeah. I'm going to do it, uh, which yeah. is going to be ludicrous and take loads of time, but look great. Yeah, that was it. That was it. It was basically like I 
I didn't want to so the yeah the curve of the roof obviously I've got these quite big flat panels so I've not gone for the curved sticky type I've gone for like normal good quality solar mm-hmm. panels which um so all in all I've got 550 watts of solar nice I think yeah so kind of a hopefully enough to get me through an English winter given that I, d- I use very little um mm-hmm. apart from when I need to charge my camera equipment um so yeah I have these two big panels on the top and I was able to get some um some offcuts of gazebo aluminium which is you know little they're quite small pieces of box section so super super lightweight I could pick everything up just with one hand that went on the roof um for the framework and yeah and I kind of just installed this system that meant that it wouldn't be a rack it wouldn't be raised up and therefore create this big detraction from the roof it's actually all works within the shape of the roof so it is a it's still a square frame but it works with the curve and it doesn't actually raise the panels up at all they they still sit partly on the roof um but that that actually came in less than my prediction so hopefully I made the calculation when I last went to the Weybridge and fingers crossed I stay in underweight but Oh yeah. Have you got you a know. contingency for if you if you have gone over? Um someone once told me that they went they went through a bunch of their like woodworks, so some of their cladding and like some of the chunkier pieces, and they went with a router and they just like carved <laughs> they just like carved out loads of the wood and said it literally brought them underweight. I don't quite think that goes against my laziness. I don't quite think I'd be into <laughs> doing that. <laughs> um I think the likelihood is um the likelihood is that I so I know for sure that I have space from my calculations I've definitely got space going on I from now I might just have to um rethink my water my water storage um and I wanted originally I I have calculated enough space to have a huge reservoir tank so I didn't I don't want my plumbing all to go into one tank I kind of just want this tank that has a little tap on the outside and I want to have a small tank on the inside um, just so just to have multiple options so that I can always, um, you know, I can always empty the tank, the big tank, but still have a little tank in the middle. It's just a bit more flexible. But I had this idea of having this lovely big reservoir. <laughs> um, but I think then if I have to backstep on something, it will need to be that. And I have also calculated to have a storage box underneath that may have to go. So there are, there are contingency plans that don't mean ripping apart something on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cause I mean, water is heavy. That's it is. Yeah. It's very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I also, um, I, I have, I've also planned for this big gas tank. One of the ones that is on the bottom, that, oh, yeah. um, is is fixed underneath an underslung gas tank and they are big um and also of course heavy uh so it may just have to be that i go for your standard ones that you take in and refill which to be fair i have now in the little space i live in and it's absolutely fine i just like the idea of if i go to europe i think it's you know being able to refill for a longer amount of time or if you really want to be off grid for a solid amount of time you don't then have to kind of drive in and, and replace it um it's not the end of the world however if i do have to go to that hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.